if you can make it their idea, um, I've seen a lot of success kind of come from that. Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. In today's episode, we have Trey Dyson. Trey is the hitting coach at North Greenville University. Trey has a has a unique background in the sense that you know he played college baseball at South Carolina, played some professional baseball. Then he actually left baseball completely and went into the real world and worked for several years before getting back into it within the last five years. And so brings a unique perspective to the game, which I think is pretty cool. And and I, I really enjoyed talking with him about his his own journey as a coach. And he opens up about just simply just how to go about building trust with players and what are some of the things that, that he found worked in terms of getting players to to buy in to what he was trying to to help them with. So a uh, great guy. I appreciate Trey for coming on the podcast. Had a ton of fun. And I'll put all of the links to so you can follow North Greenville and you can follow Trey in the show notes. Um, they do a really good job on social media. And uh, so we'll, we'll put all those links in the show notes. In other news, uh, just wanted to let everybody know that I am open right now to taking on uh, new high school players. Um, I, I work with high school baseball players in the recruiting process, um, help them identify schools that were, are going to be a good fit for them, and then also we'll reach out to those schools on their behalf as well. So if you're interested, uh, please send me an email, jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com. Uh, just you know, really looking for players who are hungry, who want to get better, and, and who just love playing baseball more than anything else. So if that's you, send me an email, jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com. All right, here we go, Trey Dyson. This is my time, I grind and shine. I put in the work and push the line. I'm holding my crown. I never back down. We now welcome onto the podcast, Trey Dyson. Trey, appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Patrick. So, I mean, I know you've got a, a little bit of a unique journey in in coaching. You you haven't you weren't the typical graduate from college and then get right into coaching right away. Like you played some professional baseball and then you went into the the real world. And it, it sounds like where you just burn out from the real world and you're just like, man, I want to go back to doing what I what I do best is in coach and be a part of baseball. Well, I loved baseball. I loved uh, team teams, t- the team aspect of baseball or just really any sport, you know, as a kid, it was just something that was, I was passionate about, but I was also like a really good student and um, very ambitious, you know, wanting to start a family and wanting to make some money and that kind of stuff. So when me and my wife got married, um, kind of I, during my the beginning stages of my professional baseball career, she was like telling me that I should go into coaching and stuff, but I wasn't ha- hearing any of it because I wanted to go make money, you know, right away. So after professional baseball was done, I went out into the real world, got a banking job, um, did really, really well. Um, and just that I'm a very competitive person. So when I was playing professional baseball, making $500 a month in the minor leagues, my friends were like starting their careers. They were starting to make money, buying houses and that kind of stuff. And I felt like I was almost getting left behind uh, in that aspect. So I wanted to get out in the real world, kind of start a career in the business world. 
Um, and it, it, it was great. It was a, a good move. I got, I played like four years in three different organizations with the Royals, the Indians and the Dodgers. Then I got into the, the banking world, did really good, started a family, um, was doing great. And then, um, then I just kind of got burnt out and just watching in the meantime, I was doing games with, the um, South Carolina baseball on the SEC plus network. So watching it all the time and just being around it. And of course, you know, thinking you're the smartest guy in the room, like I would have done this here and that there. And this guy needs to change his batting stance or needs to change his load or, you know, and so it just, it was overwhelming the, the, the passion inside to get into coaching. And that that's kind of what, what prompted that change. And for, for those listening, Trey's humble. He he was he graduated uh, and was the SEC Male Scholar of the Year in 2002. I mean, so this guy, this cat's pretty smart. I mean, he's not just saying that the the data backs it up um, with this <laughs> with his GPA. Uh, so you you were doing you know doing some TV stuff, University of South Carolina. First of all, what was that like? I'm sure that's a lot harder than people think. Well, I. Once again, you know, loving sports my whole life, um, loving all parts of sports, in, including the broadcast. You know, I would grow up pretending like I was broadcasting and stuff like that. And when I was in college, it's at South Carolina. I was in South Carolina from 99 to 02. And back then that we had a Fox, the Fox Sports, like regional networks would cover some sec games from time to time it's nothing like it is now but um i can still remember dave neal uh dave neal's made a great career in the in the um the industry like whenever the the fox sports crew would come around it was like unbelievable because we were going to actually be on tv you know now these kids they're on tv every single game but back then it was a big deal because if it wasn't the college world series it was very hard to get on tv uh, for college baseball. And so we, we would become friends with Dave Neal, um, Mike Morgan, who's actually worked, been working for ESPN for a while. He was actually our, um, radio guy for a year or two. He was amazing. And he's gone on to have a great career with, uh, ESPN and he's worked with the Braves some as well, but we would always mess around with the broadcasters we get on the camera we put the headsets on and it was that was something that just kind of came natural to me too that the whole broadcasting thing and it was a lot of fun and if you can talk you know it's pretty easy um but like the the back and forth stuff the whole production that goes into it it's really really cool it's really really fun yeah so it was it was a good experience yeah definitely it definitely looks like a lot ton of fun um so okay so you're doing that and then what was the transition from that into coaching? Did you go North Greenville right away? Like how, what was that transition period like? So I was still working kind of in the real world. Um, and then a buddy of mine, um, Banks Faulkner, who was, he's, he's a really respected high school coach in our area. Um, we were, we had a mutual friend, um, my wife and one of her friends would, you know, they were, they were mutual friends. So, Banks one day asked me to come out to to a baseball practice at Blythewood High School. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I'd love to come out there and do it. And then so I went out there and like I was kind of hooked right away. Like it was really all I could think about. And um, 
So that that day, kind of the rest is almost history from a coaching standpoint because I ended up coaching with him for like two years. Um, we had a lot of a lot of success, and then that's when um, Landon at North Greenville. Obviously, I kept up with Landon at North Greenville, always pulling really, really hard for 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 him. Um, he had a guy leaving to go somewhere else who had been with him kind of, kind of from the beginning. And uh, I went up there and I talked to him and, and it, it ended up working out. And that's when I went to North Greenville because I knew I wanted to get into college baseball. And uh, so I'll be starting my fourth year here with North Greenville here coming up. What was uh, your, your initial thoughts first year coaching college baseball? Well, um, it was, it was awesome. Um, I definitely, definitely learned a lot, but I was kind of like, he already had stuff like really set up so well, um, already had kind of a good coaching staff in place that it was more of a kind of try to find my role. Like I was technically the hitting coach, but, uh, you know, Landon would also work with some of the hitters. It's kind of like a, we have a lot of very talented guys there that coach. So, so we all kind of help with kind of every different aspect. Um, but just getting in there, kind of trying to develop a routine with hitters, trying to get the players to trust you. You know, you're coming in there. They don't know you from anybody. Maybe a couple people know you from kind of your career at South Carolina or whatever and being in high school baseball for a couple of years. But the majority of kids don't know you, especially the older kids. They don't know you. So getting them to kind of trust you is was probably the most challenging part at least my first year and um over the past couple years that's just gotten better and way better and now it's 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 much easier to kind of to kind of build that trust or you've got to have that trust aspect for it to work because if, if like a player's got like one foot in and one foot out or if they think you're a clown or if they think you they don't know what you're talking about it's just never going to work um so so and you know what not everyone's made for everybody you know like certain aspects of coaching like if they got it figured out and they're doing just fine i'll flip them balls you know all day long or feed them balls in the machine until i'm about to pass out without ever giving any instruction and i'm okay with that too but the guys that want instruction, that really trust you, that like, you know, the way you communicate, you can make great strides with them. That's not that. Uh, but the other kids, like if they think they got it figured out on their own. We're fine with that, too, at North Greenville. So it's it's a, it's definitely a unique situation. We certainly don't force people to do things a certain way. Uh, but we are we are definitely there to help them if they want the co if they want the help. You mentioned trust and, and building trust and how that was the hardest thing when you when you first started coaching. Like if for for a coach out there listening right now, how, how can they go about doing that? Like what what did you find that worked that helped you get over the hump and really build trust with players? Um, well, when you kind of first start out, you want to kind of come in like the, if you're a competitor, like like I know I am, you want to come in and kind of shock the world with your knowledge and with your approach and with your talking and stuff like that. But but 
not everyone's the same. Like one kid might love that. Another kid might not, might think you're an idiot, you know, and you just have to have that awareness and kind of that feel to understand, to put yourself in that player's shoes and say, okay, if I was this kid right here and this big, big old, you know, new guy comes blasting in saying, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. It might not come across so well, especially if they've been doing thing, uh, doing things a certain way for their whole life. So I would just say, be patient. And I love to just ask a ton of questions. And um, even with guys I work with on a daily basis, we, if like, if we had them on the phone right now, I could ask them five different questions and they'd be able to answer, they would all answer the same exact way, you know, because of what we talk about. But asking questions to me is really important because if they can answer questions um, instead of being, being, uh, feeling like they're being told to do something, if you can make it their idea, um, I've seen a lot of success kind of come from that. So I like to ask tons of questions. I like that. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that, too. I really like that. How long is a typical practice for you guys in the fall? Um, well, we, we practice. Um, we practice very hard. Um, there's 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 kind of different scheduling, like with with the rules and everything, uh, with the amount of time that we're allowed to practice. Um, so like in the beginning, it's kind of short practices, especially kind of when they're getting back to school, kind of like more individualized practices. But then then we start getting after it um, kind of once they've gotten settled into school and all that kind of stuff. And um, it's it's basically as close as you can get to like a full season within the rules uh, with the, the time allotments and that kind of stuff. But our our players probably get we believe in playing baseball, too, and not just practicing, you know, so we play tons of inner squad games um, and our hitters the goal is to try to get them 75 plate appearances in a fall. Um, we're not always, uh, we don't always reach that, but a lot, some guys can get up to that. And that, that's kind of the goal. So um, we practice a ton. We practice hard. We're very competitive. That's what makes us so good there. Um, and uh, it's a, the fall, especially at North Greenville, it's such a beautiful place. Um it's it's in the mountains in um, Tigerville, South Carolina. It's it's beautiful. The weather's great, and uh, the baseball is excellent. So we have a we have a wonderful time in the fall, and a lot of things get ironed out in the fall. How many players are on the roster? We had like I think like right around forty ish or so this year, uh, give or take, um, which is great for inner squads. Um, Sometimes it becomes challenge, challenging during the year, especially when you have good players up and down your roster and not just like roster fillers. Um, it's great for scrimmages and inner squads. It can sometimes get challenging once the season starts because there's only, you know, there's only nine positions. But guys are constantly getting opportunities. They're constantly getting a chance to prove themselves. Um, even during the, the spring uh, when we're playing games, guys that, that don't get at bats or if they don't get innings on the mound, they'll, they'll go out during the week. We do a lot of like um, kind of simulated scrimmages and stuff during the week, especially with guys that, that don't get at bats like a lot. So guys are constantly uh, getting opportunities to, to have 
live at bats to show what they can do to kind of kind of earn a spot into the into the lineup but um what was the question again patrick i'm sorry oh no no no. i, I was just again just kind of curious about it's what we were talking about when it comes to you know talked about the fall and like what the practice is like and then just kind of like overall how many players are on the roster and uh, okay and then i guess my the second piece i was going to add to that because you'd mentioned um playing time and and hitters can you got 40 hitters especially during the year and how that that's 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 pretty tough i'm sure for some guys how do you handle those conversations with those hitters like wh- what are you telling them my big thing is just keep the faith you, you know to these guys like one of the things we we talk about a lot is uh one one swing can change your career and it's it's so true so like you can complain and and feel sorry for yourself, or you can be the guy that says, you know what, in that next live at bat I get, I'm going to hit a home run to the big part of the field. And then when I get up again, I'm going to hit a double. Like it's so competitive now. There's so many really good players out there that um, it's hard. It's really hard to, to get playing time really kind of wherever you're at. And especially if you're at a really, you know, top level program like North Greenville, you will constantly get opportunities. You got to constantly keep the faith and you've got to understand that one swing at the bat can change your career. And <clears throat> it's not always fair. Baseball is not always fair. Like, of course, it's easy to, to work out of slumps and stuff when your name's written in the lineup every day. But sometimes life's not fair. Like you're not going to be in the lineup every day for certain guys. And if you're not, don't complain about it. But when you get in there, do something about it. That's something that I would have, when I, when I talk about this stuff, I'm kind of talking to myself back when I played, because I was kind of a fringe guy back in the day, a lot of times where in, and I would a lot of ways, a lot of times go the wrong way with my thinking and start feeling sorry for myself and start wanting to blame somebody else. Oh, well, if I was so-and-so and I had a chance to be in the lineup every day, I'd be doing this and I'd be doing that. To me, that's the wrong way to look at it. Like you can think like that if you want to, but you're gonna you're not gonna be able to sleep well at night and you're gonna be you're gonna build up a lot of anger inside. To me, that's just not healthy. If I could do it back over again, I would just try to stay as positive as I could, knowing that one swing could change my career. So uh, I know I'm kind of rambling on here. Do you want me to stop talking? No, that's that? good. I, I I love the the one swing can change your career because you're 100% right. And it could be playing time. It could be a scout at the game watching a kid. It could, I mean, there's so many things. It could be a kid's in a slump and he gets a jam shot and it's a hit and that gets him going. Right. And then it's just taking off from there. And so, and I also like how you talked about right there of, of feeling sorry for yourself. And I don't know why I thought of this when you were saying, when you were talking about that, but you know, I'm in Cincinnati and you know, the Reds are doing pretty well. And Ellie De La Cruz who's the number one prospect in all baseball. And there's a guy who who could have felt sorry for himself. He was only he was signed for sixty five thousand dollars, like he was signed for nothing. 
in, in regards to like how good he was. Like, what if he would have complained that he wasn't, you know, one of the big bonus babies or one of the, you know what I mean? And so you just, there's so many different stories of guys who, who were overlooked or didn't get the playing time. And they just like to your, to what you said, they kept the faith. They just kept going and kept pushing. And eventually you get your chance and you just got to make the most of it. And that's all you can do really. Exactly. So Patrick, last year we won the national championship for division two baseball. It was amazing. Congratulations, by the way, on that. Thank you. Thank you. It's very hard to make it to the world series in division two baseball. It's not like D one. So D one, basically the best teams get in a regional and then the best, you know, whoever wins the regional gets to the super regional for a chance to go to the world series and D two it's, it's based on regions. So there's eight regions and there will be one representative from each region that will make the college world series. So like we have a very, very tough region and, but only one team out of our region has the opportunity to make it to the world series. So it's we always can we're here you know in South Carolina so I always just compare it to South Carolina and Clemson which have been in the college world series multiple times and that could never happen in division two baseball because only one you know only one of those teams would be able to go so the reason why I'm saying that is because it's really hard to make it to the world series so we made it in back-to-back years last year we were fortunate to win it it was an amazing season into the whole keeping the faith thing. We had a three-time All-American catcher last year um, who now is the all-time record holder in D2 for home runs and RBIs. His name's John Michael Fail. He's just, He was an amazing player. He just, he just finished up. He's playing with Billings right now in the Pioneer League. We're hoping that he gets drafted. He's a great player. For whatever reason, he hasn't gotten drafted yet, which is, which is a shame because he, he rakes and he's a great catcher. Um, but he got hurt in the conference tournament last year. And this guy is like an um, like a, a rock in the lineup. And so we had a kid who was a switch hitting freshman catcher last year who um, really didn't play hardly ever, like maybe one or two starts during the year. He hit a, a huge home run in the conference tournament that helped us win the conference tournament. And he got one start in the College World Series. He was three for three with a huge home run in that game. And that's a kid who could have complained. And he did complain a little bit. I mean, to be honest, like, of course, like <laughs> you're not going to be happy all the time. But he just had a great disposition about himself. And he, he kept believing in the midst of catching the thousands of bullpens that he would do in between, you know, during practice and stuff like that. Um, and we had another kid, um, Bryce Roddy. He's a freshman last year. You know, he was the guy that gave the balls to the umpire during the games. And he was just so much. And I, me and him talked a ton during the year. He was like my my buddy in the dugout, um, you know, standing up there beside the guy giving out the balls and stuff. And we'd be talking about the game and talking trash about some of the players here and there, you know, just like some good fun dugout banter. And he'd always be like, well, I could do that. And I could do this and I should be out there playing. And I'm like, Roddy, good. Like, I'm glad you feel that way. Now, when you get in the game, what are you going to do? You're going to strike out. Or are you going to do all this big talk that you're, that you're talking about right now? We constantly have those talks. And every time he got in to his credit, he played hard. He hit the ball hard. And then 
what happened was because he kept that faith and because he kind of, you know, was always like, you know, playing hard and competing hard whenever he got his chances, he found himself in the, the, the last inning of a super regional against Columbus state, a great program. Um, and he got a walk-off in the, uh, a walk-off hit in the super regional, which was huge. I mean, so it was just like, we got all kinds of stories like that. Pitchers having great performances and stuff kind of out of nowhere, but that stuff doesn't just happen. It happens like it's a process and, it's like a constant belief and a constant of keeping the faith, constant grinding, being ready for that opportunity to give yourself the best shot when that opportunity comes. Yeah, it's it's almost like aggressive patience where like you're continuing to work, you're continuing to be aggressive, you're you're keeping the faith, but at the same time you're patient because you 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 can't, you know, you can't force opportunities and things like that. Who's the who's the kid you have on your Twitter? Uh Pat Monteith is Pat Monteith. Yeah. So I was looking at his like, kind of swing transformation. I mean, mm-hmm. that's incredible. I don't, I mean, I want the first three or four swings that you have, I'll put the link up in the show notes. People want to check it out, but the first three to four swings on the, his, on the, on the video, or I guess, I don't know if that was last year, a couple years ago, but man, just was not moving very well. I mean, was, didn't, didn't have much to much space. I mean, his bat path wasn't very good. And Sounds like maybe it looks like you guys put together like a little like hover move um, on the lower half and and the numbers are just crazy. I mean, he just took off 19 bombs and take me through that. What what happened there? So, like, remember, I was like a first year hitting coach his freshman year. And so I didn't really like go full bore that year. You know, I, I kind of laying back in the cut, almost letting guys kind of do whatever they want to do. Plus, Landon, our head coach works with the hitters as well. Um, but Pat was a guy who struck out a ton, but was super competitive and super athletic. And watching that video, you can see that he's just kind of kind of pushing at the ball. He's trying to force contact. He's just he's just fighting Ryan for anything he can get up there. And uh this year we we found um at least I feel like I came up with something that that uh, really worked well for for a couple of the guys, including Pat. And we call it hitting for a long time, hitting for a long time. So what that essentially is, is back when I played and stuff, you know, we were taught to kind of, you know, throw the hands at the ball, pull the knob to the ball, um, which would create a lot of pushing action. Now, it would work a lot of times, uh, but – it was too more uh it was more of like i call it a one hitter meaning that i was only ready to hit one time like my foot had to come down at the perfect time i had to have perfect timing and all this stuff and that i could only launch my bat one time and if if the ball was there and everything synced up great i could hit it really hard but if i was a little off here or there i wouldn't be able to pull the trigger if i did it would it would be kind of weak contact so once we kind of understood kind of how the back leg works with hitting and the back hip and all that kind of stuff. Um, and obviously there's so much information out there now, like 
any old dad on the couch can be a great hitting coach if they have enough time to to look. A lot of people would disagree with that statement, but <laughs> I mean, I think that there's so much information out there right now that if if you're teaching the old, um, you know, hands you know, hands down to the ball kind of thing, you know, it's just that's not what hitters do. Like you got to get behind the ball, you got to get on plane with the ball. For us, you got to hit for a long time, and so you could see. I, and I know I'm probably not making much sense to you. We'd, I'd have to like kind of show you with a bat or, or something like that, what I'm actually talking about. But if you watch those beginning videos with Pat, you can see that he's just kind of kind of almost lunging at the ball and just kind of pushing to the yeah, ball. Pushing, yeah. And so to me, we I call that a one-hitter, meaning he's only hitting one time. Mm. And now with the whole hovering and controlling his, his backside, now – he's able to hit for a long time, which is what we call hitting for a long time, where he's in a, a good spot now early where he's loading up and he gets up, he gets up early. And as he's moving forward, he's trying to keep everything back. And then, but in the meantime, he's able to hit, like if it's a fastball, ideally he's going to land and, and cut it loose. If it's an all speed pitch, he's just going to continue to, continue to hit um for a longer period of time am i making any sense yeah no 100 percent. i mean that's what jumped out to me too when i watched the video it was just he was just pushy really pushy with his hands and i'll be honest trey when i watched the video for the first time like for some players you can see like oh they have the athleticism in there like they if they just made a couple tweaks like man they could really take off he th his first few swings it wasn't like i really could envision this kid taking off you know what i mean i just i couldn't see it um and so it was like credit to you and obviously him for all the work that he put in but that's what's i think it was so cool about the development process and i'm sure that took way longer than people realize for for that all to come together and i'm sure you guys were working like crazy and he was working like crazy and and i mean like how long does it take in your experience, like for him, that transformation, how long did that take to, to come about where it was looking the way it looks now? <laughs> it's, Years? it's like a, it, it's a constant process. You're right. And, and to tell you the truth, like I'm still learning as a hitting coach on like what works. So I knew what we wanted, what it, what it, what it needed to look like, but maybe I wasn't the best at communicating it. Now I feel like I'm really good at communicating with, with the guys, what it actually means. So to answer your question, three years and counting, he's still getting better. He's still getting better. And um, the remarkable thing about it, and the reason why I know that this philosophy works, is Pat went from like a guy who strikes out a ton swinging at bad pitches. He does not swing at pitches out of the zone anymore. He walked, he led the nation in walks this year, D2. 59 walks, only 29 Ks. Can you wow. believe that? That's so, huge. Like that's unbelievable. That's when you know you can hit with nineteen bombs. So it's not like he's like, uh, you know, just in like a punch and Judy leadoff hitter that's walking a time. He's driving the ball and he's got total command of the zone. He was in the MLB draft league this summer. He's draft eligible. To me, he, he's an absolute no brainer. For, for being drafted. He runs a six, six, five, six, seven, sixty. He's got an absolute cannon. Um, 
he's like to me a pro's dream. Plus, he's like the greatest kid you'll ever meet. He's like he he's the, he's just a great teammate. He he works with all the young kids. He's he still cleans up the bus and stuff. And he's a junior, you know. He's he's always doing stuff to help out other people. Um, I just I really hope he gets a shot to get drafted. I we think he's going to get drafted. Um, whoever drafts him. Even if he never gets a hit ever in professional baseball, he's going to create value for the organization for for all the things that he brings to the table. But I think he's going to keep getting better. And I think he's got a real shot. I think he's got a real shot. So fingers crossed, Pat Monteith. Pat, I tell you what, that's a anytime you have a recruit that you're recruiting, I would just send them that video and being like, just this is what we do here. We create, we take guys who weren't very good hitters who had terrible mechanics and we make them monsters. Like that's what we do at North Greenville. So, Hey, Patrick, you're speaking my language, man. And you're not the first person who's told me that, but um, because you can clearly see the difference. Right. right. And it's just the stark contrast between what he used to do versus now what he's doing. Um, so, and once again, that comes from trust that comes from trust. And Pat trusted me, maybe Pat, it probably took him a little while, but we became, in fact, he can tell you the day when he uh, believed in me um, that I knew what I, that I, that he thought I knew what I was doing. And from that day forward, not only has he just put all his trust in me, but he's also encouraged the other players to listen to me. <laughs> and, and you can't get a better endorsement than, than someone like him saying, Hey, this guy might be weird sometimes. He might he might ask you to do some stuff that you might think is stupid, but if you listen and you kind of buy into it, I think this guy could really help you. And so the, the kid's just an amazing kid, and um, I think that he's – I hope that he's going to get a chance, and I think if he, if he does, he's going to really, really take off. What was that? You said there was a moment that he trusted you. What was – what was – what happened in so, that well, you know how we were talking earlier about media and how like I, I like the media aspect yeah. of things and what a wonderful job you're doing marketing yourself, Patrick, you. on Twitter um, with the newsletter and, and just being consistent with it. Um, that was one of my goals when I went to North Greenville was to try to get more people actually paying attention to North Greenville um, because there's so many good players there, but a lot of times they, they don't get covered. So I would I went in with kind of a Twitter Twitter strategy to try to do some skits and stuff like that to try to get more people interested in actually following what we're doing there. And uh, one night at, at beautiful Ray and B Diller Field in, in Tigerville, South Carolina, <clears throat> it was like foggy. We had just finished like a like a scrimmage, and the 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 scene was incredible. Like. It was like fog. It looked like it was like we were in a swamp or something like that. And Pat has a great look. Like, and back when he was a freshman, he had these this long hair that was coming out and stuff. And I was like, Pat, hey, stick around after practice. I got an idea for a for a video. You know how people do like the countdown, like nine days away from opening day or whatever. Yeah. Okay. And they they show a picture of a kid. Well, Pat was number five. And so we did a five days from opening day and I made this video. If you know anything about, <clears throat> you know, quality filming, it's not very quality. Okay. Like 
<laughs> I am kind of a boomer when it comes to like Zoom. Like I know I probably look bad on this. I don't even, you know, but I'm pretty creative with ideas and stuff. And uh, and so I made this really cool video for him. I'll have to share it with you. Okay. Um, and it was really cool. And for someone like me to do that, like he's like, dang, that that old guy could do that. You know, that's that's what <laughs> sold him. And, that's awesome. Uh, it was a great little video. So we've we've had a great relationship ever since. Pat also had to sit out his freshman year. I like he he was he was a guy that was on the bench mm. for the first 20 games until he cracked in, you know, to the lineup. But you know, once again, there's a guy that's gonna get drafted, hopefully, that was not even playing at our D2 school um as a freshman. Wow. That that we, we, like I said, we we've got a really loaded roster. So it's it's not easy to play as a freshman nowadays. Not really, no matter where you go. So speaking of of Pat, when you're out recruiting, what are you looking for? Because clearly there's a guy right there who maybe when you first saw him, it, it would be hard to envision him being someone who would be potentially drafted someday, much less getting to play on a regular basis, which makes scouting so incredibly difficult. But like what what are what are some of the things that, that you're looking for in order to identify the next Pat? Well, um, you're looking for competitive players. Um, Landon likes bigger guys uh, a lot of times. Like he likes to pass the bus test, if you will. Uh, but we also got plenty of small guys too. But when you've got a guy that can run, that can throw, um, he 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 takes a lot. Like he he does a lot with like kind of professional the professional baseball scouting, you know. Um, so if a guy like my, has some tools, but maybe not be polished all the way, he's but very competitive. We're looking for guys like that. Um, so one of the uh, former assistant coaches that's now actually at UNC Pembroke, I think gets gets to take credit for discovering Pat. Um, Landon, of course, probably closed the deal with him, but Ryan Brown at UNC Pembroke uh, saw Pat playing at one of these games, one of these summer showcase games or something. And I think he like, like dove into a fence or something and caught a ball or something like that. And that type of stuff just fires us, fires up, fires us up at North Greenville and uh, just how hard he played and stuff like that. That's how he kind of located Pat. And then I guess he told Landon about him. This was before I got there, Pat's recruiting process. And um, I guess the rest is history. So you just look at – we also look at stats. I mean, we we take high school stats seriously. Yeah, you um, told me that the other day. Well, I've never heard that a coach say that to me before. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't be saying this, honestly. <laughs> um, but we like to see people, like, who actually produce, you know? Like, okay, you throw 86, 89, or whatever, 92. Like, okay, what are your numbers? Okay, so, so you're playing all these sh summer showcases, right? Well – how'd you do like, like that matters to us. Um, and so we like to get background on that and see like, cause at the end of the day, we want to win baseball games and we feel we pride ourselves on being winners, you know, in everything, every aspect. <clears throat> so if you're not winning very much in high school. Well, that might kind of put you a rung below a similar kid who's on a winning program. You, you know what I mean? 
so we 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 take that we do take that seriously like or at least we add some value to that um like how good they are like we had this great recruit this year brody fowler who we just nicknamed big game brody brody was a great recruit for us he was you know the typical d1 type of recruit six seven um 90 plus miles an hour but for whatever reason um just none of the i guess not too many power fives were on him and um anyways he became he came to north greenville which i think was the best decision for him <laughs> pitched some huge games for us this year but in high school he was a state state champion and not only was this was he a state champion he also pitched his best games or some of his best games in the postseason. That means, that means a lot to us. Um, and so, and he did the same again this year for us. Like once you're clutch, you're always clutch. At least that's the, that's the thing that I, that I tell my kids that, that, that was what I was known for back in college was being a clutch player. Like if you talk to the, the geeks nowadays, there's, I don't think there's really such thing as clutch, a clutch player, or, you know, when they really look at the numbers. But to us, it's still a thing. And um, we have guys that, like, that can show up in the in the clutch moments, and that's how to win postseason baseball games. Um, and that's, like, just so fulfilling to see a kid come through in the clutch. It's, like, not only great for the program, but it's also just great for them, like, as they go through life with like confidence and stuff to like, if you can do it when it matters the most, you could just take that with you the rest of your life. And we have, we've got a great environment for, for getting a lot of kids to have some great clutch moments. Yeah. It's almost like the, the kid who, once he goes and looks at the lineup and sees that he's fourth, it's like, Oh man, I'm hitting cleanup today. And then a, a runner or a guy gets on second and third base and he gets up there and he's so nervous. And it feels so much pressure because he's thinking to himself, Oh man, I'm hitting cleanup. This is what I'm supposed to do. I have to get a hit here. And then he ends up just taking three strikes right down the middle. Like that that's where the, the analytics can't quantify what you're talking about, but it's definitely true. Right. I mean, it, it really is. Yeah. Yeah, typically, like, you know, when you've been in that dugout before, um, you know that when runners are in score position, you start get, you start getting into that later part of the game where um, everything matters so much. You know when a certain guy comes up, it's kind of the mood of the dugout. Like, either you're feeling really good or you're kind of feeling like this guy might not have a chance to do anything because he doesn't have the mental toughness or whatever you want to call it. So. All of our guys want to be that guy. They want to be that guy. They know they can do it. And once you've done it once, the floodgates will open uh, for you to be able to do it more and more. So like that kid, that Bryce Roddy kid I talked about earlier that got a walk off last year. If you you can't convince him that he's not like the most clutchest player on the planet, like over Paul Goldschmidt or Juan Soto, like, like he actually believes that he, that like, he's going to get the job done. And that's half the battle, you know, right. is, is that belief that you can get the job done and um, just different things like psychology, the mental side of the game, all these different things that, that we talk about on a daily basis, we feel like is working. And so just got to give credit to Landon uh, for what he's done because it's, 
it's a great play to a great place to play baseball. Uh, and and uh, it's just the results have kind of speak for themselves. That's such good stuff. Yeah. And I, I want to highlight what you just said there again, where it's like, just because, you know, you, maybe you weren't clutch or you haven't been clutch or haven't come up in the big moment doesn't mean it's going to be like that forever. Like you said, Trey, you just, you keep the faith, you keep showing up, you keep having the right mindset and all it takes is one. And then the floodgates open as you put it beautifully. So um, I love that, man. That's such good stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, because it's, it's, and that's just, that's what I constantly say to them. Like, for example, we got, we had this kid last year, Josh Sinner <laughs> was another kind of Pat Monteith kind of guy. Couldn't hit water. If he fell out of his boat, his freshman year, he graduated last year, turned out, uh, turned into just an amazing center fielder, but was not afraid to swing and miss. Um, he was not afraid to strike out, but, we had this moment at Mount Olive uh, two years ago, I think, where he hit a walk-off bomb. Anyways, from that moment on, we talked about how clutch he was, you know, even though he might not have been clutch the previous 50 times, okay? But since that moment, he had so many quality at bats when it mattered the most. He was he would still strike out, th- mix in his strikeouts here and there, but when, when the game was on the line, he – he uh he would get it done. In fact, he had two walk-off hits in the same day the year after that event that I'm talking about. Wow. So it's a real thing. It's a real thing. And when you get enough kids believing that they're clutch, <clears throat> and like I said, all it takes is one time to be clutch to be forever clutch. You know, that's how you got to convince yourself. So that's going to be um, our soundbite for this episode for your intro right there. <laughs> I like that. I like that's that. That's awesome. Trey, this has been a ton of fun, man. It's been flying by. I've already been on here for almost an hour, but um, anything, anything else that you want to leave the listeners or is there a place where they can go follow you or North Greenville? Like wh- where should we lead them to? Um, I am at Trey Dyson on Twitter. Okay. <laughs> you can find me there and the North Greenville baseball Co- is at ngu baseball and uh on twitter and we've got the instagram and stuff like that but i'm a twitter guy i don't really i know that more and more kids are doing the instagram but uh at ngu baseball on twitter at trey dyson is where you can find us we got some great stuff on there too if you scroll down um remember when uh dion went to colorado this year yeah uh, Deion Sanders. So yeah. we did a whole skit with. Remember what his tagline was? What was it? I remember. Uh, remember he, he was like, "I'm coming, I'm coming," and he's bringing he's bringing his Louis with him. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So John Michael Fail, the guy that we talked about, um, the the great hitter that's playing in Billings right now. Yeah. He was he played Coach Prime in a three part series that we did. Um, it's, it's unbelievable, but it hasn't gotten much traction in the Twitter and the Twitterverse. Um, but we've also got like a good coach, bad coach series that we did. That's hilarious. We'll, we'll uh, put all those links up in the show notes. We'll put those links up. Okay. All right. Sounds good. It was great talking to you, Patrick, man. I appreciate yeah. everything that you're doing for, for the kids and stuff. Um, it's definitely becoming a, a big business, I guess the business that you're in. Um, and you are, you, you guys are really valuable, uh, like as a conduit to a lot of coaches. So, uh, keep up the good work and I look forward to keeping our relationship going in the future. Absolutely. Thanks, man.